my my refuge, if you like. I think it's you know is my practice, where I can close myself in the room, like just before you got here, I practiced, and be in the practice. That's my bliss point, um, and that is an expression of everything else. You know, so that's where I find solitude. That's where I revitalize that where I re-energize and that's where I just naturally become, yeah, just seemingly much more at ease with everything. It, it pleases me, so I'll continue doing it. That was Vincent Belletta. This is Dugget, the podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of Dugget. For those who are just tuning in for the first time, it's a podcast about people I've dug, uh, which is a bit narcissistic, but it's a, a bit of a play on words, and uh, people who are enlightening and inspiring, doing something different. So an insight into their stories and hopefully a little catalyst for you guys out there to kind of maybe make a change or just reinforce what you're doing. And uh, today I've got one of my kind of yoga heroes on the podcast. He's a, a teacher at Studio Red and East West where I teach and one of New Zealand's, I guess, most highly regarded teachers. Um, he's also got his own studio uh, in, where is it? It's in the show notes here. It's in over Rimuera Way, which is Centre of Contemporary Yoga Studies. Um, but Vincent also teaches, he used to uh, advise for Les Mills, he's taught the likes of Dan Carter, Manonu for the All Blacks, which is quite apt after their, uh, yeah, what a game in the weekend. I had an ultimate weekend last weekend, did the K2 Classic, just a shout out to those guys, amazing bike race in the Coromandel, highly recommend that, uh, a beautiful part of the world and such an amazing bike ride, I think 192 odd K, it was seven and a half hours on the saddle for me, which is a uh, a long time because I hadn't really been doing any training, but uh, it was it was pretty special. Um, still a bit lacking a bit of feeling in in the in the fruit and veg, but department, but well worth the ride, the adventure, getting out of the comfort zone. But anyway, definitely worth checking out. Also, you can get a ferry across from Auckland to the Coromandel, which is really cool. But back to Vincent, um, he's a kind of role model teacher for me. I think his practices. Uh, really beautiful his way of teaching is it's it's kind of a level above most for me it's there's an element of humor and a lightness and a spontaneity and a creativity which kind of came up I didn't really realize he was such an, an kind of an aspiring artist which was his main calling to start with and kind of got ground out of him but he's brought it into his yoga so it really is a, a talk about the art of yoga and and the art of life and how to fit it all in with a family he's also been teaching in China and um, living out of a car most of the time, <laughs> fitting in these private practices. I can't believe how much he teaches some days, like eight or so classes, um, and still managing to stay inspired and, and lift and reevaluate the teaching each time. So, yeah, without too much, too much further ado, I'm just trying to quickly sneak in this intro before I fly back from, had a few days in Taranaki here, another beautiful part of the world. Um, on a plane and just trying to fit fit in this podcast, kind of make it a priority, say no to these 
distractions and just make the things that are important to you kind of you know take priority in life and it occurred to me that I'm about to take off in a plane like how cool's that flying a few people since the beginning of time have wanted to fly and now we just do it so casually like it's like getting a haircut I'll just fly out back home and and the biggest problem for me is whether they'll have soy milk for a cup of tea I mean what a what a wonderful problem to have it's uh yeah it's such a joy to fly to see the world from up so high but what a remarkable time to be living in to have, to have soy milk is one of my main issues in the day it's just uh it's just uh it's a beautiful beautiful thing when you just look around and you know, people used to battle saber-toothed tigers and dinosaurs for dinner and now we well i i worry about what beach to go to on a sunny day when they can fit two classes of yoga in the morning i mean if you basically if you've got your health and you're still breathing then you've got everything and then it's just a matter of perspective but um got louis here the cat next to me because i'm actually just recording this as a little ad lib to my quick fire intro which i recorded in the airport but it's been the theme for my class this week it's just uh wonderful problems to have and nothing's ever good or bad it's um and i think travel gives you that perspective too when you go there's a guy chris saku never hired anyone who hadn't been to a third world country because you know even your worst day is probably the best day of someone's life coming from one of those countries i mean <laughs> you got a bit on at work or i mean i can only speak for myself and in the family i don't have a cat this cat's a flat cat i don't have to worry about him occasionally i feed him and clean up when he throws cat bits to go up on the floor but really that's i actually quite enjoy that too but really I don't have a lot to worry about at all um, and so it's nice to try and think about you know other people's worries and that doesn't really make sense it's not that nice to think about other people's worries but it's grounding I think that gives you the opposites attract you know if you have the you gotta have the cold to feel the heat that's you know, why I've been doing the Wim Hof method lately actually it's really good you see the kind of primal part of the brain you do if you haven't heard of Wim Hof he climbs Everest in a pair of shorts and um, there's a pranayama kind of breathing technique to, to get the mind oxygenated and get to the reptilian part of the mind and and it does some stretches and other things too but it, it, you learn how to control your body core temperature and really get to like the core being you know that kind of feeling after you've exercised and just in that flow state and and you feel really connected to your body and the thinking mind's kind of put aside and just feel alive I think that kind of is the thing that scares me the most is not not dying but not not fully living I think there might have been a quote by a woman as well it's so comfortable to be sitting on an owl couch with a cat watching grand designs on a Sunday night having a cup of tea that it's sometimes hard to leave the couch it's like I really want to put myself in those uncomfortable positions you know ask girls out on the fly ask for a dollar off a coffee get out of the comfort zone those aren't very good examples but even swim when it's cold or just uh, that's why I kind of like bike riding as my only option traveling around town because even when the weather's bad it forces you to do it if you've got no other option and and uh that k2 bike rider in the weekend too just signing up without even thinking about it knowing that 
you know, you're probably going to get into some strife and, and, and challenge yourself mentally. And then where's the mind going to go? <laughs> That's when it's... For me, it went to Drake, Hotline Bling. I sung that song in my head for like seven and a half hours. And I was still playing in class today. It's, he's done a little bit of magic on there. The music video is not too bad too. The other one I'm into is Justin Bieber, Sorry. In terms of pop, kind of pop culture songs, I mean, I'm not... It's cracking video too, these New Zealand dance girls. Maybe I'll throw that in the show notes too, but I'm getting way off track here. So back to the podcast and also this idea of kind of simplifying because it's so easy to get off track. The whole world's trying to distract you. We forget that Apple, Google, all these companies, the smartest minds, advertisers, they're trying to steal your time. So it's about getting back to you know, saying no and just simplifying life, making it less stressful. You've got the choice. Well, I've got the choice. So it's, uh, it's, uh, if I'm, I've only got myself to blame if I'm kind of worn out. But here we go anyway. Carry on. I think it's continually about simplifying and and uh, kind of inspiring yourself. And I think this podcast and Vincent's story uh, does that for me. So enjoy. This podcast again brought to you by Organic Mechanic Kombucha. We enjoyed some over the chat. It's the good stuff. Remember, you can use Dugget to get 20% off your subscription or just a one-off order so you, don't, you can get the subscription which rolls on or you can just try it and um, order some bottles online so use Dug it, get 20% off, it's, uh, it's amazing stuff, fizzy drink of the future check it out, enjoy the podcast and hope you dug it I mean it's just something I really wanted to do so it was a with oh. investments, so yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm digging it. I'm just thinking for because my baby girl sings quite a bit. Oh, yeah, if you want to sing as well, Vincent, jump, jump. <laughs> <laughs> bring a guitar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. all right, yeah, well, you can buy well, one. It's more for her, them. more for her. Well, just buying one for her, maybe. Yeah, well, I've got my brother, um, all the piano intros and stuff we recorded on these, on two. these, as yeah, well. and they, they sound really good. Why, why the, the metal mesh? Or? That's a, like a pop filter, so when you kind of cough or get the air, oh, okay. it kind of smooths that out a bit. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm with but you. I think they might want to be angled a touch. Closer? Yeah, I think that's kind of good. So we've got Vincent Belletta here in Studio Red. <laughs> got some shot glasses of organic mechanic kombucha going down, the heavy juice. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, super, really appreciate taking the time to, to sit down, you're a busy man. Thank you, thank you for and, having um, me. And for those people who don't, don't know anything about you, what would, what would you, how would you describe what you do? Well, that's a good question. I mean, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher and I teach this process where gets people connected to their physical bodies as well as what those bodies represent on a much deeper level through, through energetics as well as through people's mental habits. But overall, I mean, what do I do? I, I teach classes, I do, and you do yoga private sessions on a therapeutic level. Um, I also start to, now I'm starting to work with teacher training and mentoring as well as Traveling overseas, doing conferences, workshops—just it just takes me everywhere now. So um, it's yeah, it's not just one thing. There's so many many things that I do now. 
Yes, you're kind of like a, various studios teaching in China, all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And yeah. so, what's that like? Is it light? Is it is it the lifestyle you kind of? Is it the life? <laughs> chose to, you know, it's not you got what a family I imagine now. it to be. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's a. Uh, it's about having a fine balance between family life and also my own personal interests that I have. And then at the same time, sort of kind of doing what I do and, and sharing some of the passions that I have about yoga. So it is a fine balance. And now these days, rather, what I'm finding that I'm doing is not just scheduling a week, but I'm scheduling a year. You know, I'm going through my uh, calendar of a year and saying, okay, I need to be here, I need to do this, I've been invited to do that these events going and so it becomes uh, uh, quite a yeah a logistical process uh, just to keep everything in check and in balance as well and um, you know when you first start off you sort of say yes to everything but now I'm sort of being a little bit more selective which is which is good it's a good place to be in that yeah actually that's one thing I just listened to this week of the power of no and I think it was a really successful yeah. guy and he said no written <laughs> yeah. On his wall, massive. It was the one thing. Yeah. And and the dichotomy of starting out and to say yes to every opportunity. That's right. And, and then, then try to simplify life just as you go on. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think, I mean, my dilemma, as most people's dilemma is, is just to, you know, maintain a standard of living, provide and be responsible for a, a group of young children. Um, you know, so I'm very much a householder, if you like, in, in yogic terms. So there's always those pressures, and uh, so they, they never sort of kind of leave my mind. And it's not just also for the pleasure, but it's it's also now business is it's a business mm. basically. And so I've got to, yeah, I my mind now is you know explores two different camps in terms of you know is this opportunity worthwhile. And if it is, you know, great, I can share my passion. If it isn't worthwhile, do I still share my passion? So there's, you know, there's this constant analyzing and, and, and also adapting to the situation, which is, you know, makes it, makes it exciting at times. Mm. And what, so what got you into yoga? What were you doing before? I, I I was what was I doing before? Well, if you start from the start, or you know, from the very start, <laughs> from the very start, uh, I wanted to be an artist. Yep. And so um, that sort of kind of got drilled out of me um, many years ago. And then but I at, at, through school or yeah, through family through, or school, family, work. Yeah. Um, you know, the realism of of trying to make money as well. Because uh, it's photography, your main... It is now, photography, yeah. but in those days, definitely painting and what have you. I had these sort of kind of quite grand ideas of what I wanted to do, you know. But that didn't work out, and, and then I ended up wanting to... Well, I went through a whole variety of different jobs when I was young. And then eventually decided that I wanted to work with people on, on, a, on a level that was about their health and fitness and well-being. So I started off as working as a gym instructor in a health and fitness center many years ago. And at that time, I knew nothing about yoga and then uh, a manager, a new manager came in and he was a, a yoga enthusiast. And one day I watched him practice uh, his yoga and I got completely captivated by it because it just looked like this 
beautiful, fluid, eloquent dance. You know, it was um, sort of kind of captured my creative imagination. And so when I watched that, I thought, oh, I want to do the same thing. I want that too. And that's when it started, basically. And, uh, and this manager became a really good friend and mentor. And then I ended up following him uh, to England because he came from England and uh, spent some time with him there. And he became a, an Ashtanga Vinyasa convert. And uh, so then I went into Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. I started teaching yoga as well. I wasn't qualified, but in those days there was no qualifications. It was just more about your understanding of the practice through your own body. And then eventually I left Europe and, there was, and then came back to New Zealand. I thought, well, I need to legitimize what I do. And I did a teacher training course, which was like an apprenticeship. It was about two years long. And I uh, ended up managing a yoga studio at the time as well. And uh, yeah, and the rest, I suppose, is history. You know? And that was in Auckland? This was in Auckland, And yeah. that was a Ashtanga Centre? Th this it? was with the New Zealand School of Yoga, Mike, Byron, Mackay, and Sharon. And uh, in those days, when I first came back to Auckland, there was only, I think at the time, three yoga studios available or were in Auckland. And one was New Zealand School of Yoga, the other was Mandy White. Oh, I heard uh, she was one of the first. Yeah, and, set up, yeah. and um, she was in, oh, she was in Newmarket somewhere at the time. And then the, the other one was um, the Auckland Yoga Academy. So that was the only three that I knew at the time. And so, and I tried all three, and I ended up settling with, with Mike and his methods and his, and his personality. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, and just started from there and did my practice, you know, and all was coming and not. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then here I am today after all those years doing what I'm doing. You Did know. you have a sports background? You said you go into training. The PT I, kind of stuff or the, yeah, the, yeah, the like gym I, style? But. At school I was always into sports. I was into athletics. Um, I specialised in high jump, um, field, track and field. And uh, I got uh, quite a niggling little injury that stopped me from actually competing uh, when I was about 16, 17. So then I, I turned to basketball. And I ended up playing basketball for a number of years. And, and, uh, basically until I was about 22 and then in my travels I've done a whole variety of different things uh, mostly martial arts from karate to kung fu to uh, in the last 10-15 years to Brazilian jiu-jitsu so that's, a, that's sort of kind of always been in the background um, and it's always informed my yoga to be in a particular way realistic and functional you know and uh, and the application of movement that is relevant to what's in front of you. And, uh, and martial arts taught me a lot around that, basically. And, and it still does to this day, you know, but I'm getting older, so my body's not as <laughs> vital as it used to be, so I just take it a little bit easier now. So you still practice the jiu-jitsu? I haven't done somewhat. that for a while. Yep. Uh, I'm more going into the softer sides of the martial arts, the tai chi and what have you. And so, um, so a bit, again, a little bit of a practice that's relative to where my body is at the moment. Um, so, so I still practice, but not as routinely as I used to. And my practice now, my li lifelong practice is my yoga.
Yeah, because I remember Bruce coming from your, which is another teacher's doing your training at the moment, just oh, talked yes. about like taking out the sustainability factor, which he hadn't really thought about. And I've listened to quite a few podcasts with Joe Rogan and all these MMA martial arts yeah. guys. Yeah. And they, yeah, they they love yoga as well, but the, there seems to be a lot of injuries. And it's a lot of like physical contact and. There is a lot of injuries, yeah. I mean, if you're going to move your body, there's always going to be some risk of injury. And if you're, you know, using a force against another force, there's always going to be a potential risk of injury. And yoga is not too dissimilar. You know, you're applying certain pressures and stresses through the body in that if your function is not spot on or your coordination is not spot on, and then there's a higher risk of possible injuries. And it's not necessarily sudden injuries that can occur, it's more little niggles that build over time so, and create this inflammatory process. Because yoga is a highly repetitive practice as well. You know, we repeat quite a number of movements time and time again. And sometimes these movements can be of an assistance, but they can be agitating too, depending on the condition that we're in physically and also what governs our movement patterns, as well as what are those habits that govern those movement patterns. So, so there's a lot of inquiry that goes on within the practice, or there should be, in my mind, a lot of inquiry. But at the same time, you know, we sometimes practice in a way that we don't consider these things, and then we become surprised that you know, a yoga practice can create a problem. You know? But like I said, if you're going to move your body, if you're going to step outside of your house to walk across the street, there's always a risk of some kind of problem arising. Mm. You know? so, so I see yoga from a perspective um, like fire, and I've mentioned this before. You know? Fire has this amazing transformative component to it where you can toast a marshmallow into this, this beautiful, tasteful, <laughs> thing that uh, is quite Moorish, or you can burn the hell out of it, you know? <laughs> and so, and yoga is exactly the same thing, you know? And so, yeah, so there is this philosophy that I start, I'm starting to take on more and more, and that is to consider, you know, where I'm at, you know, the condition of my body that day, in terms of, you know, some of the issues that I may have had in the past, and still reflecting on those issues and how I need to support them. And then a more current situation and where my level of energy is that day, you know, and what are the distractions that are going on that day within, within me and how will that manifest if I start to do a deeper, stronger practice. So there's all these core components that I start to sort of, if you like, reflect on. And what's, um, what the, like, because you're teaching a lot, yeah. I think yesterday we must have taught at least four or five classes or something cr yep, crazy. Right. Yeah. So how do you fit, because one thing I noticed in the class last night was the level of um, nuance or detail or, or refinement in terms of your language as well, like you, it seemed like you'd practice that sequence a lot, so how often would you, is that where you teach from your own practice to some extent yeah, totally. and how often can you fit that practice in then if you're teaching uh, I, I now I'm practicing yeah that's the difficulty is to fit in what you want to do for yourself so now these days I'm practicing either at 5.30 in the morning or sometimes earlier and then it's trying to fit in a practice if I don't get a chance to do it early in the morning 
in between my sessions that I'm teaching. And so, and you know, the practice does inform my teaching um, on many levels. Uh, and you know, the difficulties I think for a yoga teacher is to be able to articulate their experience that they're having in their body, in their practice, and, and then trying to articulate it in a particular way that makes common sense, and then people can actually start to apply it into their own bodies. So, and that's where the creative spirit comes in, I think, where a language can be of, of a useful tool to you, but then at the same time, it can be a hindrance to the full expression of what it is that you're trying to get across. So, I'm, I'm you, know, you know, when I'm teaching so many classes, um, it's easy sometimes to switch on to automatic, you know, because you've been doing it for so long. But these days, you know, it's when I when I'm in my last class, as an example, like last night, I actually now switch on even more into the subtlety of it because it starts to inspire me again in that moment, and I somehow regenerate the energy required to sustain myself through that process. So it becomes um, very similar, I think, to when a you know an artist is confronted with a canvas and they've got to paint something you know, and you fall into a zone, you know, so sometimes when I'm teaching, I fall into a zone, and I know I can ramble on when I'm teaching, and there is kind of no breaks, but you sort of kind of are in this mindset that you are, in every single pose, you are in every single body that's in front of you, and you're sensing where people are at, and you're tuned into that, and so everything, time sometimes just evaporates, for the lack of a better term, I think it's called the flow. So you're in this flow, you know. And it's beautiful to be in that sometimes, you know. You, you are, yeah, you're in this space, in this void, and you are in such a creative um, situation that the only limiting factor is yourself and nothing else. So getting, yeah. out of, yeah, getting out of your own way. Exactly. The, the knowledge kind of comes out. Through. Exactly, exactly. And what, so if you try and fit in, if you had just a normal day, kind of routine, food, wake up wise with the family, what would that I guess kind of so, look like? So, uh, so my day will look something like this. <laughs> <laughs> in the ideal. <laughs> in the ideal, ideal scenario. Will. So I'll take, I'll take yesterday as an example. So I, I woke up at uh, 5.30 and you know, get myself ready basically for a class at 6.30. And what's the, what's kind of get ready is it? Do you eat before class? Do you cold shower, meditate, anything, <laughs> anything crazy yeah. or is it just roll usually, out of bed? Usually the alarm goes at 5.30 <laughs> and I struggle out about 5 to 6, you know. Um, and then it's just a matter of, yeah, I just brush my teeth, put my clothes on, I'm out the door. And so it's, there's no sort of kind of ritual <laughs> that I'm following apart from my teeth brushing. Uh, that I usually sit down in a, in a stupor anyway in that moment and, uh, and I do it. And um, yeah, and then into the class basically. And once I'm in the class, um, I'm there present as much as I can be. And um, depending on where it's at, and sometimes I don't know where it's at, whatever I teach comes from just on the moment, 
you know. So you're not so. This is what I'm teaching tomorrow. Yeah. No, no, it's not. It's not pre-planned. There may be some idea. If there's, if there's anything that guides me, is a dissatisfaction. And so if I'm dissatisfied with what I have taught in the past, I'll go back to it and teach it differently. Uh, or if I'm dissatisfied with what I've been teaching, then I might change it up. And then if I am teaching on in that moment and I'm dissatisfied in the language that I'm using, that doesn't sort of kind of touch me, and then I'll change it and, and try and reconfigure in my expressions. And so I'm led by, if you like, dissatisfaction. <laughs> I'm led, you know? And that, not in the bad sense, not in the negative. It's more in the positive, you know? And uh, because that leads for greater inquiry. Uh, and it's not something that I have, you know, an expectation that it needs to be perfect. It's just that dissatisfac dissatisfaction arises from an intuitive sense rather than anything else. And so, you know, and then I do the class and then I have a small break. And usually after that break, I'll have a private. And then I'll go into doing another class. Uh, and once I've done that class, I'll usually, like yesterday, rush to another private. And, uh, and then I'll... Um, do another class, and yesterday I'm blessed to be able to teach a class where I'm practicing myself as well, so that sort of kind of allows me to do my practice as well as teach. And then I'm back to doing privates, and then in between privates I do classes, you know? So do you, do you eat? I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I do eat, um, and it's usually in the car. My car is an office, and uh, my wife hates my car because it's just really messy. There's, you know, food wrappers and drink, empty drink bottles there, you know. So it's, it, that's my office is my car. So I'm all over the place, really. So. And what would you try and kind of fit in? Food? Is it like a style of food or eating? Because you're into food as well as... I, I try and, yeah, I, no, I don't have a particular style of food. I, I, well, I have a regular intake of chocolate. I do. It's good. So, <laughs> so, and that's my addiction. Um, Any, have you got a favourite chocolate then? It's got to be what? Whitaker's Almond Gold. Almond Gold, like the dark, dark one? No, yeah. man. No, milk. Oh, the milk? No, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hate dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, too, it's just too pure. Um, um, so, the Almond Gold is my, my thing to go for. But generally, I'll eat uh, on the run nowadays. You know, I'll grab a sushi or something. Um, or a light meal somewhere, you know. So that's usually the way that I'm eating, you know. Yeah. Uh, not the uh, most ideal, but um, yeah, it's just what I can afford is my lifestyle at the moment, you know. But you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I, I just, yeah, it's just something exciting to be able to share what I do and and see, you know, different groups of people and communities and how they respond to what I teach and. You know, so there's, there's, a, there's always an element, or a fresh element, that I enter all the time, you know, which is great. It reminds me almost of, um, I think, Tony Robbins when he wanted to start doing lectures and he just said he was going to do the most he, he could. <laughs> he wasn't going to be the best, but by doing a sheer number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I often think it's such a good way to learn. If you're teaching that many classes, you must find that you can just ref well, you, you know, refine and see you, so many bodies. And yeah, you do. I mean, for me, the art of yoga is observation. So your ability to observe what's in front of you, 
uh, and also not necessarily in a yoga class, but the way that people present themselves outside of that format, um, that really does aid both your teaching skills or teaching abilities. And um, at the same time, it heightens your level of understanding of what the practice is really truly all about. And so, you know, when you see so many people and, and, and teach, there is a, a possible opposite of becoming desensitized to, you know, uh, the topic that you're working with because you're doing so much of it. And so for me, what's important is that there's other components in my life that feed uh, my interest in yoga. And so this is where photography for me comes in, art comes in, or even just, you know, learning how to communicate, uh, you know, certain information, sensory information that I've experienced into something that is not a riddle, you know, that is actually tangible and at the same time, I think more importantly, useful to people's health and well-being. Because it can be quite mystical, the practice, and, you know, and I just like to think that I, as a process for myself, demystify uh, this this thing called yoga, so it makes it really relevant and Just, useful. Yeah, one of the questions, and that's what's attracted me to us talking to you about that Wim Hof method and how it was kind of scientifically proven, or it just it was it it was demystified as as much as a pranayama or kind of breathing technique could be, maybe. But yeah, do you feel that's one of the main issues, maybe with with yeah. <laughs> with uh, with yoga, it, yeah, is, I, I, is there kind of a few things you'd like to change in terms of the I, stigma around it, or I think it's changing as it is now. You know, um, I think there's some really good teachers out there that are creating a process or breaking down this process called yoga in, in small bites that are palatable and at the same time are relevant to to where people are at now you know, and their understanding of, of themselves as a society and as also as individuals. And, you know, I, for me, what's the most profound process for yoga is basically uh, the simple. The more simple the technique is, the more broken down into a format that is very digestible. It tends to have greater capacity for transformation. And when it's quite grand and quite um, esoteric and mystical, if you like, um, it loses its essence and, and potency as well. Um, it seems to be something that becomes an ideal. And I'm, I'm not a great believer in ideals. I think ideals are bullshit, tell you the truth, because nobody can live up to you know, ideals, especially yogic ideals. And so what is now relevant for me is how, to, how yoga can adapt to the lifestyle that people are in now. How can that adaptation create a transformation that is potent and then at the same time, you know, useful and in ways that helps people's lives, you know, and just to alleviate some of the basic stresses that are in our society now, I think that goes a long way rather than maybe trying to attain this idea or notion of nirvana. And so, you know, nirvana is something that's out there, but, and it's projected to be something that's out there, but ultimately nirvana is in the simple. 
you know, it's in every single breath that you take. It's in that pause between the breath, and that's where you'll find that space, that bliss point, you know. So this is where I'm coming from, from trying to keep it really relevant, simple, in a way that, for me, maybe it's more selfish that I can understand. If I can understand it, then I can embody it, and if I can embody it, I can express it, and then if I can express it on a, on a, on a physical level, then in time will come out in another way that then can be useful to other people. Yeah. So that's my sort of kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> that's very poetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the low-hanging fruit thing has been what attracts me to it is like trying to take it to the most people and where you can kind of... Yeah, yeah. Like those simple things you can do day-to-day -day, which just change someone's life and it's... it's uh, it, it always comes back to some simplicity, but is there a main... Um, Kind of is, is it is it stress? You think that is the main thing people are dealing with, or is it a physical postures? Do you think it's more mental, or is it kind of a balance of both? I think it's it's a, a, quite a variety of different you know uh, variables. I mean, what I on a general level, what I see is just to make connections, you know, to make a connection. And most people's bodies seem quite foreign to them. They are dictated in, in the way that they they should be perceiving their body. Uh, there's, there's a lot of societal pressure around image, um, and you know, and and to take away some of the expectations of what our body should be or how it should be performed. There's also, in my mind, this mechanization of the human body as well, that is somehow described, and even the language dictates this, how it's a, somehow it's an automated process that we are, are in. But in actual fact, the body is much more fluid, organic, and there is this rhythm and flow that um, we have to honour that, again, enables us to sustain a healthy lifestyle. Um, so my, my whole objective is to reconnect people to, if you like, their natural function, their natural rhythms that they have that is uniquely theirs. And, um, and to do that is to transform the practice into a more contemplative, reflective process rather than attaining or achieving some particular position or shape and that you know, may or may not bring a certain you know, positive outcome. And so and for me, Yoga sits in the in the void. It sits in the transitions. It sits in the movement from A to B rather than the B or the A. So f the whole idea is to connect to this transition. What does it mean at this point in time now if I consider how I'm breathing in or how I'm breathing out or how I move my arm my, above my head and, and what are the you know, sensations that are arising at that moment, and good or bad, you know. Um, what are the variables that are determining my arm to move in this way? You know, have I had an injury, and how does that injury impact on my experience of my body? So all these things um, I would like to think is what I share within my classes. Um, and whether they come out is what I just said now is, uh, may not, but in time I feel that 
what I've seen with people who've come to my classes regularly, they, they pick up on this energetic ideal or understanding. And, um, and then it becomes a much more fruitful process for them. And they drop in. Yeah, and that level of mindfulness yeah. slowly creeps into your practice your day. Yeah, they just, it just, they just drop in. At that point, there is nothing to be said or nothing to be taught. And they're in their own unique expression and they are completely, you know, um, immersed in this whole process. And that's just a beautiful thing to see. And you can see it on a, on a visual level. They resonate, people resonate. When they are, have dropped in, they resonate on a particular level that is very hard to articulate but there is a certain stillness that emerges and an, and a, an inquiry, a mindset that seems to be all-encompassing, you know. And again, it's, it's very abstract. I can't, you know, tell you what it is, but it's, when somebody drops in, you know it's that there. Flow kind of state. Yeah, and then uh, my job is done. I can easily just walk out and not see the person for the rest of my life because they've got the taste. Once you have your taste of what that is, that will haunt you for the rest of your life and you want it more and more again, you know? And that's where the practice and the consistency of your practice emerges from, that a more natural, spontaneous relationship to yourself. And once you get that taste of that moment of, as you said, flow, you want more of it, you know? You recognize it to be home, if you like, you know? And because uh, one thing I really love about your classes is that the teaching's obviously amazing, the light, but there's this lightness of spontaneity <laughs> and humor. And, and I've just got this book from Steve Ross, who's quite, he's got a really similar style. And the, he kind of came out from India and he was like, why is everyone so serious about the alignment and the, the you know, it should be a fun process. And, and right. his argument was that when you're laughing or you're smiling or whatever that is, kind of the stilling in the mind that's kind of a flow state in itself and then so have you found you've kind of grown that humor into your class as you've yeah it, it has developed it, it has grown and it's grown for <laughs> a whole variety of reasons and one I, I totally in, I'm in agreement with you around that it needs to be lighter the whole process um, I think the mind is a lot much more flexible when it's not so gripping of a particular thing and so it allows it, itself to explore and experiment and uh, it's not holding on to one thing. Uh, but then at the same time, I found that my approach was a, a direct response to the lack of interaction with my students and that I would ask questions and get feedback. And New Zealanders are great for not giving feedback and uh, especially in group situations. And so it was, uh, it was a direct response to create some kind of uh, feedback form, you know, uh, and engage people and, and also in some ways, you know, develop uh, within that moment uh, a connection um, to the teaching, to me, me to them kind of thing. So it was quite um, reactive in many respects. Now it's, it's for my own general sense of, well-being. I just like to have a bit of fun and and not take it too seriously, you know. But then at the same time, and I am known to take it seriously. So, um, so it's a good balance. So otherwise, it just gets all too much.
Yeah, I think there's an, a piece with John Cleese where he talks about how humour doesn't make it any serious. Like, you have cancer and be discussing the end of your life and yeah. be able to... And if you're joking about it, you can consider everything. If yeah. you're kind of so attached to the seriousness of it, you won't look outside of... No, you don't. You don't. That's right. I mean, I, there are so many yoga styles now out there, uh, or styles is probably not the right word, but personalities. And, um, and each is, has their own truth. You know, and I came from a traditionally a, a style. There wasn't that many particular, you know, styles in, in Auckland when I first started, but it was quite a, a process that quite specific and quite determined kind of a practice. And that in itself is, has validity, but, you know, now I look out what's out there and, and I sense and also experience some other forms and, you know, even though it doesn't reflect my, my practice, it, there is a truth that is held there and that I can sense and pick up, and that's what I take with me. And so if you're, you know, holding on to one specific, you know, methodology, then you lose out, I think. You know, there's so many other... I think the Dalai Lama said it best. I think he may have quoted this. He said, you know, just imagine if there's only one restaurant. You know, <laughs> and so having the variations, having the different kinds of tastes that are out there, just increases one's mind to expand further and uh, and potentially you know grow into areas that you've never grown into before that you never considered. So, yeah, and it's so easy to be. It's easy to be like narcissistic or look at the things that you don't like about a practice rather totally. than just see and be like, well, that's cool. It's getting this type of person, yeah. or I like that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, most, most practices now are based upon a teacher's personality, mm. you know, and not so much the style itself, but the teacher and how the teacher represents it. And so, you know, if I was to follow a teacher now, it's more about who the teacher is, you know, as a person, rather than what they do in a yoga setting. So that's what I become interested in, that, that, that what inspires me now. It's more how they encompass the yoga principles or the yoga practice into their life, who they are as a person, what are their influences, you know, how do they now articulate their practice after so many years in the practice, um, you know, how have they evolved. These things become really interesting to me. Is there anyone who's, who you've kind of followed lately or that's been in kind of a hero or influence? I don't know if hero is the right word, but you know, you know, you can use the, the hero. I mean, I used to put teachers up on pedestal, yeah. you know, and I used to see them as heroes. But then I realised they're just human beings, very similar to me. So, um, which is a nice thing. Which then again is the demystifying of the process. You know, that we're all on this boat together. You know, some of us think that we know something, and some of us think we don't know something. So. You know, and vice versa. So, um, who would be my hero? At the moment, I'm really into reading Alan Watts. So, I'm finding him to be something that inspires me. And he comes from a very different perspective around the practice, the Buddhist perspective, but he has his own interpretation around it, which I really like. And, and I've used quite a, a number of his um, ideas in the way that I've perceived my practice and that's given me a whole new experience in my body and then it's enabled me to articulate that same process uh, in my classes as well. So Alan Watts at this point in time, cool. you know. So speaking of books, is there, you, got, you read regularly? 
I'm guessing is it oh, I'm a terrible I'm a terrible reader. I used to read I used to read quite a bit. I used well, I used to read a lot of yoga books. I'm like a train spotter, you know, I just anything that was yoga at the time I would be into it. And now really I couldn't care less, to tell you the truth. So <laughs> <laughs> unless there's something new, you know, yeah. in in the story of this yogic process, a personal story. Um, like I said to you, I get interested in people's stories. Um, that really fascinates me. Um, so at the moment, as I said, I'm reading Alan Watts. Um, I'm trying to actually write my own book, would you believe? And so <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but uh, you know, it's like a yoga practice, or like it just take many years, you know. Um, is there anything else? I well, still is there any book you kind of re you would recommend or gift or um, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that you've been like this is a good starting point, even if it's not yoga related, it might be something. Completely... I was just I was just looking on that reputable site on online Facebook, and um, <laughs> I was and I came across uh, a book that I read many years ago called um, Awakening the Spine, and that was from uh, an Italian uh, practitioner called Vanda Scaravelli. Don't ask me to spell her surname, but Vanda, V-A-N-D-A. And, uh, and she started yoga when she was about, I think, 48. And I don't know her, exactly her full story. And, um, and she ended up going to India and learning under Ayenga. But she, she developed her own understanding of the practice, and she came out with this, this book called Awakening the Spine. And it's not a, a book, a technical book by any stretch of the imagination, but it's quite a poetic book. It's a beautiful book. It uh, expresses yoga through the many different faces of life. And so she's got lovely imagery in the book and lovely quotations in there and draws upon many inspirational individuals um, to express what yoga could be. And uh, so this is the only book that I would recommend to any student. I don't recommend any technical stuff. That's easy to learn. But in terms of the spirit of the practice, that would be the book that I would suggest. Cool. Excuse me for it. No worries. No. Yeah. Ah, yes, the men's room will cut that out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no problem. Oh, cool. Actually, maybe I won't cut that out. It's just uh, it's a reality of life. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. They're just it's about being real. <laughs> yeah, they're just uh, hearing me sniff my sniffing. <laughs> <laughs> the cold that I've got at the Same moment. something off here. Yeah. Actually, I quite like uh, a few times I've left the mic on accidentally Have outside you? of the room. And <laughs> it's good. I like and that. And I was like thinking, oh, that's quite a cool. We'll purposely leave it on and say something, a compliment to the room. Or, you know, <laughs> that's, like, right. that's right. Can't that's wait right. to teach this class. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, so the art, so that, that's the book. What about just in terms of art photography? Like you've got this beautiful videos you've created, but is there, is there kind of artists or, or documentaries or films or, and, and kind of the videos or yeah, that's the, a, that's that a, kind of visual world that... Yeah, the visual world, initially I was inspired by the work of Monet many years ago. Have you travelled and seen, seen I, those works? And I've seen, I, this, is, this is going back a few years now, so I there was an exhibition that came to Auckland and uh, I ended up seeing it then. Um, but I, I quite liked the, that kind of expression. It was very much to me bordering on abstraction. 
And then obviously other artists uh, lately, Dunk, uh, um, Francis Bacon uh, is another artist that I have enjoyed, quite a visceral um, imagery that he created. And I did a uh, photographic um, essay uh, that was based upon that. Oh, cool. Loved it. It's called, uh, it was called Mute. Um, lately, um, because now I'm into, you know, more photography, you know, and there are so many images online now, you know, uh, there's no one particular person that, you know, I, I gravitate towards. It's more just an image. Oh, actually, there is one person, and my apologies, it's, her name is, she's a New Zealand uh, photographer, uh, Tracy Porteous. Tracy Porteous. Yeah. Um, I hope I said her surname correctly. Um, she's living in Christchurch. I do like her work very much. Um, so she's um, something that I, I, and also I know her quite well, and I do like her work, and she's inspired me in many ways to um, present my work in different ways. So, and then, you know, you know, the photography is just another expression, really, of the yoga. You know, because uh, I like, I like the yoga to be be slightly dirty. You know, and I like my photography to be raw and real. And uh, so I don't like my yoga to be the same. You know, I like to be served up with a little bit just a gnarliness around it. Um, and that, to me, maintains a certain realism around our life. You know. Um, my my gravitation is to favor both opposites, you know, um, to make sure that that both sides of the coin are considered, uh, that both forces within us are also appreciated. Uh, one cannot live without the other. And I always used the analogy or the idea of yin and yang one is in the other and so that's the way that I like to present my yoga and so there is this if you like a little bit rough around the edges relationship to it because it's not always all beautiful or wonderful you know it's not always you know blissful <laughs> and so if it was it would be a very interesting world to be in um, but, and as the Buddhists say, you know, that the most favorable condition to be living in is the human realm. Because if it's all too good, and then you don't understand what bad is. And if it's all too bad, you don't understand what good is. And you're too deeply in, immersed in those sensations that you can't appreciate the opposite. But in the human realm, really, you can appreciate both at the same time. So my yoga is an expression of that ideal, or that I idea. Yeah, something I, I, I love about the discomfort of, and I heard it talked about in terms of memories, how you can have something that's like an instant gratification, like a piece of chocolate which you enjoy now, yeah. or something that was like the camping trip from hell where the yeah. tent went down <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the exactly. rain and pouring you laugh about it forever. Exactly, and got, yeah, yeah, that's it, right. That contrast is that contrast. Is yeah, the contrast contrasting events to me um, really define uh, where we are. You know, it's like for me to understand 
what I'm doing with my body and you know how some of these habits that I have can impact on a negative way in my body is through the contrast of an injury you know until I have that injury I am blind around these habitual tendencies so discomfort can aid your level of understanding and awareness to a, to a, a point where you are now more appreciative of the conditions that you've been operating under that you maybe have self-imposed or you've allowed external conditions to impose upon you and then how that has reflected on your understanding of yourself. So contrasting events I think are really important in the practice and it doesn't have to necessarily be discomfort, it can be just a simple idea of grounding for somebody who's never grounded before, you know. Um, so, or an example of grounding is strength, you know. And this is something that I try and gravitate the practitioner towards more and more is a sense of stability. As a physical interpretation of stability is the movement has a sense of control. And at the same time, the mind becomes much more stable and observant. So stability is one of the, I think, main principles, the pillars of yoga, because without stability you cannot have ease. If I'm, like now, I have a cold, my mind is slightly agitated. If I'm healthy, my mind is at easy, you know, or at ease. So the idea of opposites, the idea of contrast, and the idea that, you know, that everything has its opposite, so if there's good, there's bad, one cannot eliminate the other because they come as pairs. And it's very similar to, you know, the, the example of, you know, the lotus flower grows out of mud, gets its nutrients from, from the mud. So, you know, I suppose we could say the same, we get our nutrients from our own shit. You know, so it's, it's from that. It's fecal transplant uh, things and stuff you can do yeah, now too. Yeah, yeah that's right. So how <laughs> would, you, would you know that? You know, that that will create health in somebody's yeah. body. Yeah. It's funny, when I first started teaching, I said, I had a, to one of my friends, um, he's a teacher at the Shivananda Center, and I said, I had like lower back issues, and he's like, how lucky you are, because you've okay. got, Yeah. and I just looked at it, so from there, I just looked at everything so differently. Like every injury is a kind of insight to, it can be you know. an insight. It can be definitely an insight. You know, there's obviously, um, it's the way that you perceive it and the way that you use it. Um, my understanding of my body is through, you know, these events, these discomforts that have, I've created unintentionally or intentionally. And then, you know, the, on reflection and hindsight, seeing how that's contributed to the way that I've been and how that's influenced, you know, not just what I do, but the people around me. So these become really important, you know, measures uh, to trying to skillfully navigate life. And going back to photography, what, what do you shoot? Is there a style of camera you like to shoot on? Do you black and white I, I, I have one camera, one lens, and uh, it's, uh, it's my baby. If, if, when I first bought it, I could have just slept with it. You know, I could have just had it next to me. It was, I was in love with this camera. And it's and it's it's a it's a Canon Mark II, and uh, and I yeah. It's it's my other child. And what what's the lens for the photographers out there? What's the lens? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care, you know. It just does its thing, yeah. and I really like it. 
And uh, so, is it, is, it, is it like a fixed, like a prime lens, or is it? No, no, it's yeah, it's not, it's not fixed. It's yeah. um, uh, I can find out, yeah. you know. It's not so, important. No, I don't think it's important. <laughs> and uh, so, but uh, the, the the that's the camera that I'm using. What I'm photographing now um, is uh, portraiture. And so, and and I and I love the rawness or capturing the you know the deepest essence of the individual through, you know, stripping it right back, uh, trying to make them stand in their own essence, you know, and uh, just getting them to steer down the barrel of the camera, you know, and just get them to penetrate that sort of lens. And then I do a little bit of work, post-production work afterwards, just to enhance this idea that I have of just stripping away the layers, people's layers, so you can really be in their essence, you know. And uh, that's where I'm into it now. It's just, yeah, it's just fun, man. It's just real fun, you know. I don't take that too seriously either, but, yeah. If I could make love to this camera, I would. It's just, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so speaking of making love, you've got the one... <laughs> The segueing there, is it? but yeah. you've got one one child, two two kids, two, two kids now. Yeah, and what what are their age? Uh, Juliana is uh, nine, going on twenty three, <laughs> and Massimo is seven, and uh, and and, and um, yeah, they they are pretty cool kids. They're and your wife's cool. a teacher. Jack, well. yeah, Jack is a teacher. She's she's inspired me a lot through her creative process because she's a. a dancer, physical uh, theatre performer, um, so and just her, her interpretation of the creative process has inspired me over the years. So yeah, so it's an all in all, it's, uh, and you know, my kids love to sing, play music, and I think they have a, a creative, you know, gene in them, which is really nice to see, and you know, uh, it's, it's all cool, man, it's real cool. <laughs> and has that changed? your practice in your life. I'm quite interested in that transition. Yeah, yeah. Someone, well, like yeah, it, particularly from a yeah. male, I've heard different things. Of, yeah. And my friends, a few of them are having kids now. And yeah, totally. Yeah, it's made me more selfish. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, because there's so much, there is so little time um, that you, you know, have to also schedule in a time for yourself. And so, the, 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 again, it becomes one of those logistical things, you know. Do you try and have a set time with the kids, like in the weekends, or you try and do a certain? Uh, you know, the the one fortunate thing about teaching yoga is it's also a lifestyle, uh, and the the other misfortunate thing about teaching yoga that it, it does encompass a lot of your leisure time, and so there is there is times that we do spend together as a family, and uh, yeah, it's just you know if it's anything, it's probably the weekends. You know, I mean, because I'm teaching in the evenings as well and early mornings, so sometimes I don't see them from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, you know, mm -hmm. so. But then I, you know, we have days that I pick them up from school. So, you know, it's, yeah, it yeah, it balances out, you know. And um, so say, say you had all the money in the world and there wasn't, because <laughs> you're talking about the yoga as a business as well, but if there wasn't any constraints on what you had to do or where you had to be, financial pressures was there is there one would you still teach would you do something slightly different 
I, I probably, I would still teach. I don't think I would ever stop teaching. And this is my retirement plan, uh, teaching yoga. You know, I mean, you know, some of my students know me quite well, and I sometimes I just teach sitting down for the whole hour and a half. I don't actually stand up. <laughs> just tell jokes. <laughs> yeah, and just tell jokes. Um, so, but I would still teach. The, the amount I would teach would probably reduce, I think, so that I can, I can allow as you know certain experiences that I've had teaching or through the course of the year or certain events that I've I've had to digest and be assimilated into my body so that then it can come out into my uh, teaching and into my practice. And so um, I would definitely teach less at this point in time. At the end of the year, I'm probably needing a little bit of hibernation from teaching so I can just allow uh, a certain of everything that I've done this year to settle, the residue to settle so I can start afresh. Um, and, and I wouldn't change anything, to tell you the truth. You know, I'd be, I mean, once the tax, the GST is paid, you know, and, you know, the rent's done, maybe have a house, still keep my Toyota Corolla, I quite like my car. Nobody would want to buy it anyway, so um, I'd be pretty happy, you know, and just do my creative stuff, I'd be pretty sweet. That's good, living the dream. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in some ways I feel like I am living the dream, you know. Um, and then in other ways, is I, I wish it could be less of a business, you know. Um, but the reality of it, and that's the beauty, that you have to draw upon other skill sets to, you know, be able to sustain what I do, both in terms of what I'm uh, currently doing and how to evolve that into a greater, uh, a greater, if you like, you know, teaching business, you know. And so, and I don't know if I could be teaching classes until I'm 60 or 70. It seems like, you know, yoga these days is, you know, for the young and the beautiful and the lycra. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know if they want a crusty old 70-year-old in front of them, you know. Uh, teaching them yoga, so and I'm wanting to move more into teacher training and mentoring. Um, to me, that's I, I get so much satisfaction out of it. You know, just mentoring new teachers uh, and creating you know formats where you know this process that's taking me a number of years to get to a, an, 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 a small understanding of it, and to be able to share that is quite a, is quite exciting. Because as a, one of the questions was about All Blacks or teaching all blacks? kind of celebrities or people who are, because yeah, yeah. you attract, as a, kind of one of the, I guess, most well-recognized teachers around, you attract some interesting people. So um, what's that kind of <laughs> process like when you come up against someone who's looking to yoga for the first time and they're looking for the answers or... Yeah, that's that's yeah. It's a fine balance between what people want and what people actually really need, and so and it's how to skillfully organise, you know, that where you create a certain degree of satisfaction on behalf of their expectations, but at the same time, give them something that sort of kind of just rattles their cage a little bit, you know, that they haven't considered before. Not enough to sort of kind of agitate in ways that they never come back because you want them to come back. But just to ponder on a few things that, you know, an insight that they may have never considered before. And so um, it's a fine balance, you know, and when you're working with, 
you know, All Blacks or anybody else that has a higher level profile, they're just human beings like us and, you know, they have certain expectations and, and wanting to fulfil those expectations. So it's just a matter of constructing a process that, yes, you know, we will work towards that, but also too, have you considered this as something that's probably just as important or maybe is a, you know, longer term practice something that you want to consider doing, you know, and so, and that goes with teachers as well, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of teachers in my time and, you know, and working with them and, you know, and where they're taking their practice to and sometimes I've completely asked them to reconsider their whole entire process, that's when I want to be really sort of kind of, you know, a pain in the ass. Um, just reconsider, you know, and that's always a big ask because, you know, teachers, students have invested a lot of time, effort and money to be where they are. And so all of a sudden to say, well, have you considered this rather than what you've been doing for the last 20 years? <laughs> you know, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a challenge. So it's the same, it's the same thing. So in, in, those, in the early days I used to be quite sort of kind of antagonistic, you know, but now I'm just a little bit more subtle around it, I suppose, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't give a shit, but you know, it's just, I'm a little bit more cautious and just patient around it, because for myself, I think the practice is a long-term thing, you know, our understanding evolves over time, and, the, and I think the best analogy for me is mainland cheese, you know, <laughs> so it just takes that long, to, you know, to consider this person to be your friend. <laughs> You know, 30, and the practice is the same. It may yeah. take that long for your practice to be considered your friend one day. Yeah, most people that don't know is a classic Kiwi ad where yeah. the two guys are sitting up on a rock wall. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's, it takes a long time to make cheese this good or something. Yeah, that's something. right. Yeah, and then it's just as long as, you know, as, as this person and this mate together being friends, you know, yeah. possibly being friends. Um, and then, I don't know if you want to share this, but have you got a worst or best teaching experience which kind of stands out? Because I did quite enjoy that nun story the other day, but you might not want to. The which story? Was it the nuns that came in? Oh, the nuns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. But, uh, you, you, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know whether they're still around or not, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be sharing it. But, you know, I mean, oh, the worst. Oh, you know, it's just, I've had so many experiences and I, in... You know, the ones that stand out was that particular nun story where, I suppose I better share it, Jesus. Um, where, you know, when I was a young teacher, uh, the style of the practice and, you know, how I was taught was to also adjust people and, and manipulate their bodies into particular shapes. And uh, so that was, it was quite aggressive and, and not necessarily pleasant for the person <laughs> that, was, that was being administered to. And so, and I used to have a group of Hare Krishna nuns come, come to my class and they were sweet as, they were so lovely. And uh, there was one particular um, nun, she was um, quite stiff. And we used to, we used to have this, this posture or this thing that we used to call the tower. <laughs> And we used to build, we had it's these, yeah, we had these blocks. We used to build them up to about, you know, waist level or height, I should say. And we used to lay them over this thing where their, their legs are dangling off one end and the upper body dangling off the other end. You know, it's quite, quite large blocks. So it sort of kind of 
was the length of their torso, but their legs and arms were free. And uh, we used to wrap a strap around their ankles and put a sandbag on there. And then we used to get them to hold a pipe, a steel pipe, and put sandbags. So they used to be weighted at either end. So they used to pull their bodies into this back bending traction kind of thing, which was really uncomfortable after 10 minutes. And, and we used to hold them there for 10 minutes too, for some of them, you know, the real stiffies. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. I don't know if I should say, <laughs> but anyway, so so so, and at the end of this time on on this tower, we used to I used to get a student to come and hold their legs while I, on the other end of their body, used to grab hold of their arms, and then I used to sort of kind of press their arms to their feet, you know, sort of kind of bend them half backwards, and uh, it didn't work out one day very well. This particular adjustment, where this one nun. Uh, she was, for whatever reason, a little bit stiffer than normal. And um, it just, yeah, I did the adjustment and then the whole rib cage went <laughs> snap. And so I basically uh, found out that I tore the intercostal muscle and damaged the cartilage as well. So that was, um, yeah, probably now nobody wants to come to my class. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to say that that was about 20 plus years ago, okay? Uh, so, but yeah, so th these experiences stay with you for the rest of your life. And, you know, and now I'm, I'm so much more cautious around adjusting people. And you've probably experienced my adjustments now. They're very gentle and subtle and it's more finger pointing and whatnot. And um, because ultimately, the, you know, where the person is uh, in their bodies, and if they want to transform themselves into something else, it doesn't come from the outside in. It always comes from the inside. So my, my teaching process now is to inspire people to reconnect more internally of what are the conditions that are presented in their bodies that may limit or not their bodies to be in a particular shape. And so once they recognize these things, then they are basically self-empowering their practice and they are making the necessary explorations and inquiries to transform and evolve their own process. And whether it be to be more flexible in the hamstrings or more mobile in the shoulder, that's, that's fine too, you know. Um, it doesn't matter what the transformation is, but at least it comes from within or with, from them rather than from any other thing that's outside of them. So that's one story. And then, you know, there's other story. I mean, you just see some funny things when you're yeah. teaching yoga, you know. Teaching in China must be interesting with the translator. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's been a lot of learning on my part, that's been. Um, Do you speak any other languages? I, I, can't, I can't, my parents are Italian, so yeah. I have an Italian background. So I, I speak Italian like a six-year-old speaks Italian. But uh, I get, I get by. Can I order get, gelato. Yeah, I can order my coffee and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, but no, I don't speak Chinese, so I do have a translator, and the translator really determines the quality of the class. And I remember one translator, and whether he was trying to, you know, create anxiety in me or not, he said to me, you know, I can make or break you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ever since then, I've treated every translator really nice, <laughs> and uh, 
And so, um, well, is it lost in translation? I Seeing think, I, you know, <laughs> I think lots of things get lost in translation in Chinese, but, um, but I, but even in English, a lot of things get lost in translation too, you know, and especially uh, in the way that I use the English language, I tend to, you know, create new words that are not in the dictionary at the moment. So, um, so the so China has been a really fascinating process for me. It's been it's been you know it's been a pleasure being able to teach a whole different community, a different culture, and the process of yoga. People there have been so receptive and very good about the whole process. Um, and the experience with the translator has been uh, both positive and at times really interesting. You know, asking people to come seated and you know, somehow they're lying on their backs or we ask them to come standing and they lie on their stomachs, you know. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, so, and I thought, you know, where's, how is that being confused? <laughs> but no, it's been, a, it's been a worthwhile endeavor going up to China. I have a greater, a greater appreciation of the communities up there. And I would never think I would ever be in China, to tell you the truth. But the opportunity arose and I thought, why not? You know. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, a couple of quick fire questions. Have you got a favorite fruit or veggie? A fruit, uh, yeah, okay. Fruit probably would, I would have to go for banana. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, banana. Choice. And vegetable, I would. Uh, I'm not a. Yeah, I'm not a great fan of vegetables, <laughs> but if I like parmigiana, uh, which is um, an Italian dish, um, and it's eggplant. Yeah. So I would say because of that and the way that my mum makes it, um, I'm f I, eggplant is one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, one, if you had a billboard, this is a Tim Ferriss question I always like, from a creative advertising kind of background, if you had kind of a billboard anywhere, what, what, would, it, what would it say? About like one bit of advice you'd want to kind of throw out to the world. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> come to mind? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, I mean, was there one thing you'd like to change or for people to consider? Oh, just to slow down, really. Slow down. Yeah, I mean, that's so a double meaning one on the road. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I see so many good things when people slow down. You know, uh, we talked about earlier about dropping in, and that is a prerequisite. You know, to, if you want to drop in to your reality right now where it is and really understand it, then slow down, man. You know, it's such a, a beautiful thing. It cultivates such an environment for to be present, you know. And uh, so for me, yeah, just slow down. Cool. And uh, any advice for your kind of self when you're 20? Or I'm quite interested in the youth or when you're a bit younger and more impressionable, what would have you... Uh, still anything on yourself back then that you I've, thought? I've been through a couple of processes uh, and one was that when I was young I had these uh, kind of really idealistic notions and um, you know one of, one of them was I wanted to be enlightened you know that was one of the main things and then over the years you know as this didn't happen <laughs> through all my practices that I've <laughs> attempted in my life, um, I became more disillusioned to a point now where, um, or to a point where I was, you know, quite cynical about the whole process. And so 
my became quite a um, cynical practitioner, I suppose, you know. And then now I'm at a stage in my life where, you know, it's the whole the whole like, process for me is just to take it easy around it and just, you know, just yeah, just reside in some of the sweeter tastes that emerge through something simple as at the end of the practice, stretching your arms and legs out onto the floor and just allowing yourself to sink into it. The taste that arises or the sensation that arises is just as sweet as honey, you know? And so now I, I dwell on these things more. Uh, just the simple forms, the simple expressions that I now really enjoy. And, and whether it's because you know, age or what, you know, getting a little bit older and, you know, and taking things not so seriously uh, around it, that I'm able to be in this state where I'm just more sensing of the fruit of actually what is in front of me, rather than chasing something that's, I think I need to attain, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's now definitely in, in, a, in a place that's much more content I think, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a sweet way to be. Cool. Know? And yeah. uh, is it, when you're searching for the enlightenment, is it like a meditation practice you still have, or you try it? Or I, I used to uh, I used to do quite a bit of meditation um, many years ago. I I have stopped meditating. Uh, meditation for me is something that spontaneously arises when the mind is steady and still and stable. So it's something that you just can't do. You just don't meditate. Meditation is a symptom of an environment that you've cultivated through a number of years to then allow the fruit of meditation to arise. So for me now, it's trying to I, I, I'm sitting back more into the idea of cultivating the land, cultivating my environment and to create an opportunity to be more meditative. And if meditation arises, great. If it doesn't, cool as well. You know, so I'm not, I'm not hung up on, on stilling the mind. You know, the mind's job is to think. As long as I know what I'm thinking, then I'm happy. And like I can't stop my heart from beating. The job of the heart is to beat, you know? So I allow for these natural processes. And so all I want to be is present within whatever that reality is at that moment, whatever that thought I'm in at that moment, whatever experience that I'm having at that moment, that's where I want to be, you know? So I don't have a meditation process. If I have a contemplation process, a reflective process going on constantly. And so, you know, once I've finished a class, I sit back and digest what that class meant and how it felt and where was I and what are the things that, that touched me and what are the things that agitated me and how the words that I used then, could I use them differently? Could the energy behind the words be different? The experience that I had in my practice, was that a true authentic experience? You know, that then enabled me to express what I expressed uh, in the teaching, 
And so all these things I'm always constantly asking myself and reflecting upon uh, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, you know, and when do I need to do it. So it's an it's a interesting process. And I always ask the question, I always ask the question for the teacher that's in front of me when I'm mentoring them, what are you teaching? What is it that you are teaching? You know? And so once you start in that place, asking questions, then your yoga expands. You know? Yoga, to me, the symbol of yoga is not the OM sign, it's the question mark. The Riddler. Yeah, the Riddler. <laughs> you know it, baby, because yoga is one big riddle. You know? One big riddle. And then, well, you know what you do with riddles, eh? You sit back and you just contemplate them. It's like a Chinese koan. You know, you can, it's nothing to solve. You just sit back and you just observe and you sense, you reread it, you know? And it can mean so many things for, for so many different people. So to me, yoga is that. This big question. Lovely. It might be a nice place to end it, but easy. The podcast for me was always about kind of finding the ha a, a kind of route to a happiness, <laughs> like, whatever that is. Yeah. But it's, for the happiest guy I know, he's someone who just kind of picked up this yoga meditation practice just without, yeah. just heard things and tried things. He's got no, never really been to a class and he's just so appreciative of everything. Like you give him a piece of mint out of the garden, he's like, what is it? What's the, he's just so enthusiastic about every detail everything is amazing and he and he's just kind of self-trained which is beautiful like, which is a really nice thing isn't it yeah, yeah. and it, it's oh, i was like this is this is the way like you've got it more than anyone else i've talked to it's yeah. a friend named shano and um but i was i'd like to end with like we talked about the flow state and things like that but is there a kind of a happy like something that you do or a place that you go to which is like or is it just every every process every class is an opportunity to kind of be it my my refuge if you like i think it's you know yeah. is my practice where i can close myself in the room like just before you got here i practiced and be in the practice that's my bliss point um, and that is an expression of everything else. You know? So that's where I find solitude, that's where I revitalize, that where I re-energize, and that's where I just naturally become, yeah, just seemingly much more at ease with everything. It, it pleases me. So I'll continue doing that. Beautiful. And yeah. where can people get to like obviously we're at Studio Red so teaching here yeah Studio, times yeah, Studio Red I'm also teaching at uh, I do teacher training at the Centre of Contemporary Yoga Studies up in Remiwera uh, Auckland um, I'm also teaching at East West Yoga as well uh, I do a mentoring program as well in the Centre of Contemporary Yoga Studies um, and then I'm workshopping around, and then you'll probably see me in a local cafe if you're an Aucklander. Oh, you got a favourite cafe? Uh, these days uh, I'm frequenting quite a bit Dizengoff. Dizengoff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't, know, I don't know what it is, I just really just quite like it, you know, and I quite like it in the afternoon when it's nobody around. 
and uh, yeah, that's where I generally go. How do you have your coffee? Do you have a coffee? Look, I used to have lots of coffee, and um, now I've cut out coffee, and now it's just hot water and lemon. Alcohol? Alcohol, I'll drink any dark ale. Um, I quite like my beer and any um, Pinot Noir. Yeah. yeah. Or sensible consumption, though, I might add. <laughs> Very good. And you got a website with your photography and everything. It's kind of got. Yeah, like yeah, well, yeah, just Vincent Boleta Yoga, and you'll see uh, some photographic work that I did with a, a friend of mine that he's no longer here, uh, and that's Mark Matteo. We did a series of photographs many years ago, about 10 years ago now, and in different locations in Auckland, one in the Civic Centre, um, and then spread out around Auckland. Same, I think it's St. Matthew's just up here. Is it St. Matthew's? The yeah. church. The church, yeah. we did it there as well. So, and, and he did a fantastic job. So um, we worked together, collaborated together, and we came up with, I think, great images. These images were presented in uh, Yoga Journal Russia. And we exhibited these photos in the States as well a few years ago. And so, and then, I mean, the rest of my photographic work, I used to have a photographic website, but it's no longer there. So just check out Instagram. You'll see me there, and there's some work there. You know, what, so what's the Instagram feed? Just, just Vincent Boletta. Yeah, yeah cool. just Vincent Boletta. I'll throw it in the show notes. Yeah, and that's sweet. And that's me. That's it. Yo. Awesome. What a pleasure. Hey, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Brother. Yeah. Bye, man. Yeah. Cool. Get to one of Vincent's classes, and uh, you really appreciate the time. You're a busy man. No, it's been fun. Well, you got me before I'm shooting off to China, so I'm leaving yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, safe travels. Yeah, thank you. It probably gets better and probably get some more of that kombucha to keep you going. Yeah, that's right. I think <laughs> I need it. <laughs> a little bit of alcohol and they're sensible stuff. That's right. So true and good for you too. Yeah, beautiful. All right, man. Cheers, Cheers. Thank you. Well, I hope you dug it. It's the aim of the, the podcast. <laughs> and now I'm actually just off to teach a couple of classes this afternoon, so I'm just re-listening to this podcast, which uh, should be some good inspiration for my teaching. Keep that spontaneity, that art, that re-evaluation of the practice, try and get into that flow state, get out of the limiting factor, which is yourself. And I, I did like the guided by dis- dissatisfaction part that Vincent looked at, which is that kind of zen idea of you know obstacles as opportunities um, and also if it doesn't touch you then change it I love uh, this I've been rereading the hell yes or no or fuck yes or no kind of a blog on um, it was on relationship advice but I thought it's also at for life advice Tim Ferriss did a recent uh, uh, email about it as well like really trying to ref- uh, just get to what really excites you and make that the, that, that fill your day up um, make every day exciting so definitely worth checking out those I'll, I'll throw it all in the show notes including Vincent's details um, where you can find him the studios he teaches at his beautiful videos yoga videos and also the books and other references in the podcast um, and uh, if you want to check out his teaching again Studio Red East West and his own one Centre of Contemporary Yoga Studies um, and I think that's all for now well, that's all I've got time for, so I'm sure there's other things I'll think of later, but trying to avoid the perfection, just get it out there. So lots of love. Really appreciate everyone listening in. There's always a, uh, a review. is much appreciated. The best uh, 
best thanks would be to share it with someone else or, or just write a comment. So lots of love, have a wonderful day. Hopefully inspires you to maybe try some yoga if you haven't done it before or just uh, take those ideas into whatever you do. Think less, experience more. Au revoir.